welcome to Healthcare Du Jour, where we dish up and digest the latest in healthcare. For the next 30 minutes, sit back as we bring you insight, commentary, and discussion on trending topics to the table, all expertly served up by our host and his guests. Healthcare Du Jour is brought to you by Carium, the telehealth platform enabling healthcare's digital transformation, helping you care for people within the fabric of their daily lives. Now here's your host, Matt Fisher. Welcome back, and thank you for joining as we dive into the hottest topics in healthcare. I'm your host, Matt Fisher. On the menu today is Anjali Kataria, CEO and co-founder of Mitonomy. Anjali, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks, Matt. Great to be here. So what I always like to do before getting into the main part of my conversation is give my guests a chance to provide more of an introduction in terms of who they are and what they do. So Anjali, the floor is yours. Great. Well, I'm the CEO of Mitonomy. I lead uh, Mitonomy, a, a, a digital health company. We are enabling patients to understand what they need to do to care for themselves better than ever before with modern technology, our cloud for healthcare solution is um, award-winning and we're uh, we're in the race now. We're, we're replacing a lot of incumbent uh, technologies and helping hospitals and providers and payers modernize and bring the 21st century state-of-the-art uh, into the hospital workflow and help patients understand how to prepare for their procedure and how to discharge and go home and recover so they can lead a healthier, happier life. That sounds great. And it's certainly definitely tapping into a lot of where technology and the promise of technology is going. Um, but before another kind of background question, before we get into the main part of our conversation, I'm always interested to know what first got you into healthcare. Yeah. Well, I was thinking about this the other day that my very first experience in healthcare was as an actress. I was a, a an elementary school um, actress for a pediatric training for residents and fellows. My parents were both were, were both physicians. My mother was a pediatrician. My father was a lung specialist, a pulmonary critical care doc. And uh, it's very common in medical centers to do role plays. And so my very first experience was as an actress. Um, and I had to learn all the symptoms of someone who had a certain condition. And then the medical students had to figure out what was wrong with me. So that was a lot of fun. And I did that several times um, with that, with varying degrees of severity of illness, some that required me to limp around and to, to you know, it was, it was a lot of fun. Um, and then fast forward, um, obviously, I had my my children and went into the hospital there. So had some experiences with uh, delivery and, and the mom baby units. And um, and then fast forward, you know, as we have aging parents, both of my parents um, had unexpected serious medical conditions that popped up out of almost nowhere. And they were very different. And so going through those experiences with them uh, most recently kind of led me to say, Hey, let's, I'm, I'm an entrepreneur. I've been, I'm a serial entrepreneur. This is my third company. And I also had a chance to serve in the Obama administration as one of our first entrepreneurs in residence EIRs. Um, and then when I came in, there were six of us. And then by the time I left, we had over a hundred. So I, I think we did something right. And, um, that led to digital services and that led to PIF and just a lot of things that kind of germinated out of that early EIR program. Um, so, yeah, I've had a lot of experience with starting programs and companies and um, based on my own personal experiences and realizing how difficult it is to really understand what to do to care for yourself, I wanted to to try to make a difference. And so that's where 
uh, mitonomy has come into play in healthcare is in trying to help patients using content streaming to, to, to educate themselves, to train patients on how to care for themselves. And with that background and, you know, as you said, starting programs and starting companies, you know, can you dive into what some of your experiences have been and, you know, some of the challenges that you've seen as being that entrepreneur or in that and in the founder role? Well, you know, there's always challenges, I mean, at every stage. So being an entrepreneur, I think, is, you know, aka, it's like problem solving. You're like chief problem solver. Um, So you're constantly trying to figure out how do you advance? How do you get to the next step? And there's always a problem or a little mountain in front of you. And you got to figure out what's the best way to get over, around, through, Um and, you know, I think at every stage, it's a little different. I mean, we're a Series B staged company. We're private equity backed. We were venture backed early on. So we've we've gone through a lot of, of stages and we've overcome a lot of challenges. And, you know, we figured out how to create a business that's scalable and a business that can actually go head to head with longstanding incumbents and disrupt. So we're not a business that's like trying to replace we're not a business that's trying to create a new market. We're a business that this particular company of mine is really about making what already exists better and going in and disrupting the status quo. That's a very different business than a business that's a market maker trying to create a brand new industry, right? Which I've done as well in one of my career, in one of my past companies. So um, I would say like some of our biggest challenges right now are hiring the right people and and staffing up because the company's gone through so much growth that some of our early you know folks are wonderful and we're finding new roles for them but the need is different right so the skill set is different at the stage we're at than we were even a year and a half ago because six months in a startup is like five years in a big company right so yeah. Yeah, and kind of it seems like as you're, you're implying that it's you know as your company grows and goes through the different stages of its life cycle, not only is the company itself evolving and growing, but the people in the company to do the same thing because I think yeah. you're just saying people who are in one one role at the beginning, that role is not going to need to serve the same purpose at you know on day one as it does on day five hundred, just because the company itself has changed. Yeah, and it depends. Like I think. Like we have a studio. We are actually one of the largest, if not the largest, producer of original broadcast quality short one to three minute in length uh, video, original video content that's evidence based and clinical peer reviewed. You know, we have over 3000, you know, 3000 episodes, 300 hours of programming time. So I would say our studio, we already hired in people from big networks, really top networks, um, Discovery, Nat Geo, um, Universal, Netflix, people have produced shows for Prime and Netflix and um, Hulu and and so Disney. So like we we really have a very strong and, and capable and forward going team on the studio side. Um, and, you know, if you go through every area of the company, there are, are folks that are able to grow and meet the needs today that the company has, even if they came in early. So that's really an interesting question is like, what makes someone, um, how does someone have longevity in a startup? And, you know, I think one of the ways that we've been able to promote people through is, is when they're willing to be 
um, trained and they're willing to grow and they're, they're curious. I think that's probably the core quality is like looking for people who are super curious and willing to just do it, just take it on. Cause in an earlier stage company, there's a lot of rolling up your sleeves, not a lot of talking, a lot of doing. And so I think that's something that I've really valued in the people that we've, we've had here at Mitonomy. And I think that's a great point. It's, you know, as you said, when you're in a startup, it's everyone's pitching in no matter what their role might originally have been defined as, uh, because, you know, to some degree, it's out of necessity because there's aren't not enough people to be able to do every single job and specialize. But then right. you're saying as the company continues to grow, then you do create kind of more clear lanes for roles and yeah. you're not kind of bleeding across everything ever anymore. Thinking about all of that, you know, as this, as the CEO, and as you said, you've gone through a couple other companies before. You know, what are some of the challenges and lessons you've learned being a leader, and in particular, you know, being a, a female within the digital health world? Do you have particular challenges that you know some of your other you know co CEOs or others that might be you know contemporaries or uh, people in the similar roles that are male or otherwise might not have experienced? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, um, digital health is a tech company. And and, and this is my third tech company. And I spent 10 years in Silicon Valley. I would say that um, at every level, whether it's at the board, it's at the CEO level or the C-suite or even down all the way down, most tech companies have traditionally been filled by men. So there is a difference and you have to create an environment. And as a CEO, you have the opportunity to create a culture and an environment and a set of values that that really embraces inclusion and equality and respect. I think at the end of the day, I don't talk about gender inclusion. I talk about respect in our company, that we should be giving every single person here the benefit of the doubt that they're doing their best work. And when conflicts arise, have a respectful conversation. And I think that's how you start to create more inclusion and equality is if people feel respected, they're going to feel trusted and they're going to bring their ideas forward. They're going to participate. They're going to pull their chair up to the table and and they're going to lean in. And that is what we have to do in tech. We have to really create a, a culture of trust and respect and and especially when there's conflict. Um, and I think we have to also think about the bias that we bring unconsciously into conversations. And, you know, I know some of these topics are been talked about and talked about and, you know, it feels like, oh, here we go again. But, you know, we've made a lot of progress. I think there's a lot more women in tech and there's a lot more women in digital health Um I think you also have to remember the pay gap. And as a leader, that's something we can do something about. So we can make sure that our women executives are paid equally to our male executives. And we can make sure that we create hiring processes that are broad enough to reach a broader audience. And we can be very clear with recruiters that we want a diverse slate. And, you know, I always want to hire the best people and the best people are going to include people from all backgrounds because that's what makes you a really strong company. And so we're very fortunate in my autonomy at every level at our board. I have two amazing, amazing women CEOs of healthcare systems that sit on our board and 
they're phenomenal. They bring such an intelligent perspective to the conversation. They're amazing leaders in their own right. And um, at our management team level, half of our management team are women, not by design, but just because of the hiring process we engaged in, we were able to get just very strong candidates. And, you know, it's just, that's just par for the course when you, when you're thinking about it. Um, and then all the way down, I, I would say half of the company is female. And that's just happened naturally. It's not been something we consciously sought out to create, right? But we were open to it. And we the core values of what we were looking for when you're trying to build a culture of trust and respect and entrepreneurship and innovation and creativity, it lends itself to all people. And I think those are very great points. And I also touch upon, it feels like a lot of what the generalized discourse can be, which is you need to focus on these issues. But moving beyond just talk to actually implementing and designing appropriately seems like it's challenging because, you know, I think to your point, we wouldn't keep talking about it if we had made a lot of real progress. So are you able to share maybe some examples or insight into, um, you know, how you've approached those that design and implementation to actually achieve, um, you know, broad and diverse and inclusive representation, you know, as you said, across your company and sound like in your hiring process design and just in the culture generally. Yeah, I mean, um, so I'll often do an interview, not on Zoom, right? And I, I'll I'll ask people to do phone interviews because you get a lot of the person on the phone interview without seeing the person and, and, and making and all this bias that's unconscious coming out, like when you're listening. And I think that also forces you to listen a little bit better to what they're saying versus looking at someone and all kinds of things are going through your head, right? Um, so that's one strategy. Um, you know, what led me to it's just very natural, I guess. I just want to have the best people around the table. And so I'm looking for people that can lead with our values. And naturally, we've attracted a team of people that are diverse. And so um, yeah, I think being a good and effective leader is much more about listening and asking the right questions than than talking and and telling people what you think, right? So you, you so just naturally we're attracting people that that have those skill sets, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, it definitely does. And for those of you just joining, I'm talking with Anjali Kataria from Mitonomy, and we're talking about um, leadership and diversity within digital health. And, you know, Anjali, kind of building off of, you know, that, you know, the, the recent piece of the conversation it's you know you're talking a lot about creating include you know a culture of inclusion and trust and respect so from your perspective can you help define what that actually means because again i feel like a lot of those words are thrown around a lot but very much at a high level without diving into what it actually means and then how you actually implement and you know put actual practice behind it I mean, I think it's some of the things we talked about. It's you know one of the best examples I can I can think of is like we want people here at Mitonomy to to be vulnerable, right? We want them to be able, without saying the word vulnerable, we want them to be at the table with what they really think, 
right? We want them to share the problems as they're happening, not weeks after they happened. We want them to be able to really tell it as it is, because in a tech company, you're always going to have little bugs and little little issues, and you just have to solve them, right? That you got to put it on the table, you got to analyze it, figure out where it came from. And you have that in content creation too, like, you know, any kind of production line, you're going to have little blips. If people don't feel that they can tell it as it is, be very transparent, you can't solve those problems fast enough. And then they accumulate and they they snowball and they cause you big, big problems, right? So, um, so having a culture of inclusivity means you have to treat people with respect and trust so that they can be themselves and that they can bring their problems as they see them to you or to their manager and that they can then get solved because that's what really sinks a company is when they don't realize that they're terrible at deployment because they don't solve the problems fast enough for the client, right? That's just an yeah, example. It, no, and I think that's a really good example, but it, it also, you know, I think as you're saying, not only is it encouraging transparency among, you know, the entire workforce, but it's also, it you know, it seems like in turn causes leadership to be critically examining the company and hopefully bringing different perceptions and perspectives to it. So you're not just glossing past blind spots yeah. that allow yeah. issues to fester. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, my team knows that like I, once I get focused on something, like it's very little, it's going to get me off that goal. And then to turn my, me in a different direction you have to be very transparent and very direct. And otherwise I'm like, oh, they didn't really mean that. And they have to say it multiple times because I take no as like, oh, they just didn't mean it at this moment. But, you know, let's talk again. And then it'll turn into a yes, because that's just my mindset. So I think also when you're you're trying to create a diverse environment, people communicate differently as well. And when I'm with my girlfriends, we talk really fast and we talk over each other and everyone's just really happy with that. When I'm in a room full of men, which is most of my working world, I don't do that. I hold back. I wait. I let a person finish their sentence. And then I talk because that is the way I talk with my girlfriends is not how we talk it with men in the workplace. It's just different. They would take that as very rude when actually my girlfriends would that's just very normal. And so there are all of these differences that we don't really take the time to think of, but people can get judged if they're talking over you or talking very quickly um, and they're excited about your ideas. That can be seen as, oh, they're not enthusiastic about my, about my idea. They're They're rude and they're cutting me off. And so in a workplace, when you have people who are very diverse, you have to I think have some core values, which would be like, hey, this person who's talking rapidly and over me is actually doing their best. They're excited by my ideas. So I'm giving them the benefit of the doubt. I'm not, I'm not like judging them and thinking that they're bad or wrong or less. And I think that happens a lot to women. And that's why I'm bringing it up because I think as I've observed and as I've experienced in my career, I think um, people are very comfortable with people who are like them. And when a world is full of men who are typically in the seats in a tech company, the way that they are used to communicating is the way they expect everyone else to communicate. And if you can't adjust a little bit as a woman, or if as a man, you can't be a little bit more open-minded 
to see that, oh, this is just a different style. This doesn't have anything to do with her ability or her knowledge. Um, you can really create barriers to inclusion and to creating, and then you end up creating a disrespectful culture too. So I do think like um, we have a long way to go, but we've come a long way as well. And I'm excited about where we are. And I think as a leader of a tech company, we have an opportunity to make sure that the things women need in a workplace can be there. Great healthcare, flexibility to be able to manage your kids who get have to get dropped off. I mean, it's funny, like a lot of the women in, in our company will put their drop-off schedule in the calendar. And I, I have had to sit down with, with some of the men in our company to say, hey, I know you're dropping your kid off in the morning. It's totally fine. Just put it in your calendar so we don't schedule you for a Zoom. And they're like, okay. And so um, I, I think that the world is really evolving where more and more men are also taking on responsibilities at home which is another important thing that women need if we want to see more women in tech, the home balance has to shift a little bit where, you know, there's a good understanding of who's doing what. And, um, it, you know, both both uh, partners are able to balance, you know, the the activities that are needed to raise children and to, to run a household, right? Yeah, and kind of maybe trying to tease that apart a little bit more, you know, at least what I was hearing a lot in there was a lot of you describing, you know, kind of adjustments or, you know, awareness that women have traditionally always undertaken. And I think you also made the, you know, the very valid point that men need to do a better job of doing that as well, because oftentimes it seems like, you know, the men in leadership roles or other roles just kind of assume that everything is going to adjust around them. So, how can men do a better job of being cognizant of the need to make adjustments and take that step back? And, you know, as you were saying, understand however, you know, each different person is going to approach, you know, the work environment or an issue. And then, you know, I guess to some degree more broadly, you know, I know oftentimes it can be viewed as allyship, but it's, you know, how, you know, how can you help grow in that role? And, you know, I know it's a bit of a long-winded question, very, um, you know, kind of winding, but, it, you know, the core of it is really, you know, how can men be better at becoming aware that they need to be the ones adjusting and that um, change needs to occur at that level? Yeah, I mean, I really do think it's both parties changing. My husband and I, for example, um, we changed our roles very, very gradually. I used to do the entire schedule for all the kids, all the drop off, pick up, all the meal planning, making the grocery list. Well, I think he always did the grocery shopping, but we would do the list together. But um, over the years, you know, he's now the person who does our entire schedule. And but we still have to meet on it. We still have to talk through the schedule. And there is an allyship there where, you know, who can do what, when, who can pick up who, who can get this done, manage this repair, this vendor, this payment. Um, there's there's always that back and forth. But without that, it's impossible for a woman to do all of the home care and the child rearing and uh, really succeed in their career. It, I, I just think it ha you have to have that support. And look, that balance is going to be different for every single woman. And for me, I think happy mom is 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 happy family. And 
whatever your balance is, it's going to be different. For me, if I'm traveling, I might want to come back and just spend an entire day not doing any work and just getting reconnected to my kids and going to their stuff. And, um, but it could be that some women want that balance every day and like every day they want to make sure they have that time. And, um, so everyone's going to be different in terms of like when they have those moments of shifting responsibility and focus. I recently, we had to take our daughter to college and I spent a week shopping with her, like during the working hours. And so, you know, I spent two hours and we'd get lunch or, you know, we'd go in the evening and it just is one of those things where, um, the more flexibility a workplace can provide to allow for whatever that balance is for that family. I think the more successful we are in bringing more women into leadership roles and more women into tech. Um, we have an unlimited PTO policy as of now, and we'll, we'll change that in the future. Who knows? But, um, we used to have two weeks and then four weeks, you know, based on your tenure, you got a certain amount of PTO. And we we took that and changed it and said, you know what, let's just encourage people to take time whenever they need it, because we have aging parents. Some people need to go manage their parents and they might have to stay with them for some time and help them for a week. And they can work remotely, but sometimes they just need to take some time off. And sometimes they need to take some time off to to do childcare or to take care of themselves. They might have healthcare appointments. And so we really encourage people to use that when they most need it. And I think that's an important part of why we have been very successful in retaining, in hiring and retaining very, very talented women is, is having that kind of flexibility. And that allows the the female um, employee to be able to also have the right balance in their own home, whatever that balance with their partner is going to be. Yeah, no, I think raising that point of balance is a really good one. And kind of also, it feels like implicit in your description that, that PTO policy is when you give the respect and trust to the members of your organization, they're going to return that in kind. It's, you know, it's not necessarily, you know, you might have an outlier case where someone doesn't, you know, follow, you know, and kind of respect that yeah. uh, autonomy that they're being given. But on the whole, people are going to be conscientious of what they're doing. And as you said, it's you might actually find that productivity increases or the quality increases because you're you're allowing each person to individualize their uh, approach, which, as you said, works best for them. Yeah. I mean, and look, there's some guideposts with that, right? So we make everybody still submit when they want to take that PTO, because if we have, we're, you know, we're a smaller company, we're about 60 people right now, including our India team. And if we, if we were to have everybody take PTO on the same day, then no one's here. <laughs> so we're not big enough that you can just take it whenever you want. You have to, you have to apply for it, but your manager typically approves it unless we have multiple people in that division out and then we'll have a conversation and that, that rarely happens. Yeah, no, I think that's a great and kind of inspiring and optimistic point to unfortunately have to finish on because as I said, believe it or not, we are already out of time. I want to thank my guest Anjali Kataria for a great conversation today. Thanks so much, Matt. It was great to be here. Yeah, and thank you to everyone listening. Keep the dialogue going and connect with me at hashtag H-C-D-E-J-U-R-E. I'm Matt Fisher. Until next time.